And how do I know that it's recording, David? You're recording. I, I can see the little red dot going. So Okay, we're good. It's good to have you with us this morning. Um, we are going to take a little break from our uh, study of the wisdom literature. We, we kind of wrapped up all the wisdom literature in one message, which probably isn't like realistic. And we know we didn't do it all justice. We just wanted to get the concepts out there for you guys. And last week, though, we mentioned that the wisdom books teach really that the chief end of man is to fear Yahweh, to fear the Lord. And Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 says that. Maybe David can paste that in your chat window for you. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12, 13 and 14 says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Um, and the wisdom literature is just packed with statements like that about the fear of the Lord. As a matter of fact, I have something that I'll post to you for your own. You can copy this from the chat and hang on to it for later. But here's just the references to the fear of the Lord or the fear of God, just from the wisdom literature. You can see them where that phrase is used over and over again. And we mentioned that the wisdom literature, that what, they, what it was teaching was that first and foremost in our lives, we need to learn to fear the Lord. So I want to start by letting you guys participate in the chat and ask you to, how would you define the fear of the Lord? If somebody says, What's, what does it mean to fear the Lord? How would you answer them? How would you respond? So go ahead and pop that in the chat. If you get it right, you can then, uh, we'll give you the code for meeting next week. If you get it wrong, then we don't give you the code. That work except the code doesn't change week to week so oh yeah good call so anybody how would you define it honor respect uh awe of god respect yeah good obedience yeah keep them coming this is good anybody else honor respect awe. obedience Listen, trust, obey. Yeah. Somebody was listening last week. Yes, yes. Dependence on and submission to. Good. Great. Well, you guys can keep chiming in on that. I, I want us to keep going on it. But I think when most people hear the word fear, um, the first thing that comes to mind for most of us is being afraid of punishment for something that we do wrong. And I think while that's part of fear, it's a very small understanding of what it means to fear God. There's, there's so much more to it than just that. And so this morning, we want to help you get a better understanding of the concept of the fear of Yahweh as the scriptures talk about it. Uh, and so what we thought we would do is, since we've been going through the history of the Bible and the big picture story of the Bible, we thought, why not just look at the fear of God as it develops through the through the Old Testament and, and then into the New Testament and see what we can learn about these concepts regarding the fear of the Lord? Because it's not just one of those one-off, here's one word that defines the fear of the Lord. It's, it's, it's more of a big picture concept that we have to uh, kind of get a grip on. So the first character I want to talk about uh, regarding the fear of the Lord is Abraham, because he's one of the first characters where we actually catch the phrase fear of the Lord um, in, in a conversation about somebody. So God made a promise to Abraham 
that he would have descendants and a family that would be so big that you couldn't count them. And God told him that it would happen through his son, Isaac. And then God told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. And they climb the mountain. Abraham ties up Isaac, bundles him up, places him on the altar, has a knife ready to kill him. And the angel of the Lord says to him, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. And so I think the question we have to ask is, what did the angel mean when the angel said that Abraham feared God? And I think the book of Hebrews explains it really well. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19 says this. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promise, and yet he was offering his one and only son, the one whom it had been said, your offspring will be traced through Isaac. He considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back, figuratively speaking. So Abraham offered up Isaac in obedience to God because he had faith in God. He believed that God would keep his promises. And so from Abraham, we learn that fearing God means having faith in God. And his actions demonstrated uh, a belief in the power and faithfulness of God. So I think as we look at this idea of fear of God and we look at Abraham, we get this, this one nugget, this one part of it, one component of fear of God, which is trusting God and taking God at his word, that idea of faith in God. And, and I just want you to make a, a little mental note right now, because we're going to come back to this. But it says that Abraham was tested in his fear of God. So just keep that in mind. And we'll keep going through some of these Old Testament characters. Mm-hmm. So then so then fast forwarding uh, down through Abraham's descendants, he did his descendants did become a great number of people. They became a a nation, but they were enslaved in Egypt. So we get to, in Exodus 20, uh, we get to where Moses is leading the people um, out out of Egypt, um, and they're they're in the wilderness. And God had, we've, we've read the Ten Commandments from God. Moses had just come down from the mountain here, uh, and he'd explained the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. God was actually on the mountain. All, and we're going to read um, verses 18 and 20 in Exodus uh, chapter 20. It says, All the people witnessed the thunder and the lightning, the sound of the trumpet and the mountain surrounded by smoke. When the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. You speak to us and we will listen, they said to Moses. But don't let God speak to us or we will die. And Moses responded to the people, don't be afraid for God has come to test you so that you will fear him and not sin. So they were terrified by this display of God's presence. They didn't even want God to speak to them because they were afraid they would die. But then Moses says, don't be afraid of God because God has come so that you will fear him. So that doesn't really make any sense, does it? Uh, but clearly, they understood, or at least Moses understood when he was saying this, that there's a difference between fearing God and being afraid of God. So we really need to look at 
the context of that verse to understand the difference. And we're going to be kind of wrestling through that for the rest of our time. Uh, but God had just given the Ten Commandments to them. And the very first commandment is to worship the Yahweh God and not have any other gods. And in chapter 23, we get to more regulations and a reminder to keep God's commandments. And there are a lot of laws and regulations listed throughout uh, this part of scripture, but the one core commandment that Jesus actually cited as being the greatest of them all comes from the Shema, which we've talked about a lot. Uh, and it's which that's what the Israelites would recite daily, and we can find it in Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to start reading that chapter of Deuteronomy right at the beginning so we can get it in its whole context here. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 1, says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and Be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here we get to the famous part. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So we get from this passage, we have to understand that the fear of Yahweh is also connected to the love of Yahweh. So if your fear of God is inhibiting or does not help you to love him more, then then that's not a healthy understanding or experience of the fear of God. So from Moses, we can learn that fearing God means obeying his commandments, but also loving God more than anything or anyone else. Well, yeah. And did you notice in this passage, too, that God was testing the people? Uh, It literally says he's he's testing you to see if you're going to to follow. I think that's just awesome. Uh, So keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that again. But from these two examples, from Abraham and from Moses, we learn that the fear of the Lord means to trust God, to keep his commands, and to love God above all else. And I think you guys nailed some of that pretty well in the chat when you said, what does it mean to fear God? And we've got some, some good stuff going on there. Um, so after, after uh, Moses, Moses obviously was a great leader, and he was not allowed to enter the promised land, though, because of uh, a time where he didn't fear God, where he didn't... Uh, trust God and, and follow God's commandments. So instead, this young leader, Joshua, takes him into the promised land. And one of the first miracles that God did through Joshua was to dry up a part of the Jordan River and, so that the Israelites could walk over on dry ground. And God told them to take 12 stones, one for each tribe, and to make a memorial. So if you'll turn to Joshua chapter 4, or tap there in your app, Joshua chapter 4, verses 21 through 24. Uh, I want us to look at that passage because it talks also about the fear of the, of the Lord. Joshua 4, 21. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when your children ask their fathers, what is the meaning of these stones? You should tell your children, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the water of the Jordan before you until you had crossed over, just as the Lord your God did the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed over. This is so that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord's hand is mighty, and so that you may always fear the Lord your God. Now, we read that phrase, but I want you to kind of just wrestle with me a little bit here. It doesn't make sense that the people who just saw God do a miracle in drying up the river, who saved them from the Egyptians, that they would be afraid of God. So this command is so that they will fear the Lord, but why would you be afraid of someone who just rescued you from your enemies? Why would you be afraid of someone who just did some miraculous work for your benefit? Uh, if we remember that the fear of the Lord means to trust and obey God above all else and above all others and to love him above all others, then when we read this passage, we're to understand that God wants us to remember the mighty things he has done so we can always choose to allow him to lead us. Part of the fear of God is letting him be the one who dictates the direction. Let him be the one who leads and guides. And we see that all throughout, really, the history of Israel, don't we? I mean, when they left Egypt, there was the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, and God wanted to lead them. And he even said, I'll go and you just follow. He wanted them to learn that lesson. And that's part of the fear of the Lord. So from Joshua, we learn that the fear of the Lord means allowing God to lead and direct our lives. Um, so, I mean, those are all like three connected, but three different things when you look at Abraham, Moses, and Joshua, right? I mean, there's there's not, there, there's some overlap, but there's also uh, some unique differences to each of those uh, scenarios where it talks about fearing God. Mm -hmm. And it's cool to see it kind of demonstrated in those different ways, in those different perspectives. So then uh, if we want to, move along the story, jump ahead uh, even further and get to King David, who we've just recently spent quite a long time talking about. Um, he was called the man after God's own heart. He was Israel's beloved king, and he produced a lot of literature, um, a lot of which is preserved in our book of Psalms. Uh, and he had a lot to say about the fear of the Lord. Uh, and you'll find this in Psalm 103. Uh, and all throughout the Psalms, but as a great example of this, uh, Psalm 103, verses 11 through 14. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of, remembering that we are dust. So again, we see love and fear kind of coming together in the same verse. And that can seem kind of strange uh, to, to see those together. But from this passage and David's perspective, we can see that fearing God brings his blessings on us as his children and his perspective to us, his perspective of us as being his children means he wants to bless us. And by blessing, this doesn't mean you know, worldly possessions. If you think that being blessed by God means that you'll necessarily have more money and bigger houses and lots of food, uh, that's a very small and frankly pathetic picture of who God is and what he really cares about. He may bless you with those things, but that's not, that's not the top of the list. 
Oh, and it's also interesting to me, and I think we might touch on this later a bit, but in this verse, he specifically mentions how he's removed our transgressions from us because of all the things to be afraid of, it would be that he's going to, you know, smite us for our transgressions. And yet we fear God because he's removed his transgressions from us. So again, it's kind of that almost paradoxical statement that we get to kind of explore. Well, well, yeah, but then even also, as as Neil pointed out in the chat, we also fear God because we know that if we disobey, we do we do deserve to be punished. And God has, as a just God and a righteous God, he has the right to punish us. And and so, again, we looking at all the components of it, if we only see God as the one who might smite us, um, you know, because we're we're uh, dust and dirt and what after after Noah um, God said, listen, I know that man is, is continually evil, but I won't wipe them out again. You know, if, if we only look at it from the punishment side of things, then we've only got a, a small picture of what the fear of the Lord is. If we only look at it as this reverential awe of God is so huge and we're so small, we've only got a, a little picture of it. There's so many layers to this concept of the fear of the Lord that we can sometimes um, miss out on how it's, an, it's such a, a big uh, element of life as a whole, I guess is the way I would put it. Um, and so back in that Psalm passage, it's really cool the way that when you read through that, that it, it states that God knows that without him, we can have full bellies, but we can feel very empty inside that without him, we can have much money, but still feel very poor and unhappy without him. We could have nice houses, but not know what it means to have love. And, and the blessing that God gives to those that trust and obey him include the things mentioned in God's um, in God's word in Psalm 103, God mentions the the things that matter, uh, which are not the houses and not the money and not the, the the full bellies. What He says is, if we trust and obey Him, if we fear Him, that He will give us His faithful love. And that's like so much more important than these other things. That He gives us His forgiveness. Um, getting rid of our sins and not bringing them up anymore. Um, he gives us his compassion as a loving father, caring for us enough to discipline us when we need it and provide what we really need, the protection, leadership, love, acceptance, instruction, all those things. Uh, but I think the greatest thing that we've learned over the, the study of the Old Testament together is that the greatest thing that God blesses us with is his very presence. And this is why God wants us to trust him and to obey him and so that we can be close to him. Um, not so we can have piles of stuff, but so that we can have a deep relationship with him. You know, he created us and he loves us and he gives, he gave his son Jesus to die for us so that we could have a new life with him. Um, and that's really what this is all about. And, and that's what the fear of the Lord is about. It's about relationship with God. The fear of God is about trusting God and obeying God and loving God and following his lead. And God blesses those who fear him with his very presence in their lives. Um, now, so far, this is all Old Testament, right? And I think a lot of times when we think about fear of God, it, it's, it's always like that focus toward, toward the, the first half of the book, the, the first half of the book, the Old Testament, right? I mean, is that where your brain goes, David, or do you like automatically jump New Testament? Yeah, well, I mean, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus took the penalty of sin on himself so we don't have to fear God, right? We don't have to have that Old Testament mindset and, and, and fear God. Well, obviously, that's not true. Jesus did certainly change the dynamic of our relationship with God. That's true. Um, 
but and it's because of Jesus that we can have peace with God and not have to live in fearfulness or worry about our eternal fate when it comes to his final judgment. Uh, if we do fear him in the way we're talking about today. However, you know, once again, this fearing of God goes way beyond just being afraid of, of God's judgment. Although like, you know, we brought up and Neil brought up, it does remain a reality for those who have not trusted in Jesus. Uh, and, and that's a scary reality. Uh, but I think we can look at the New Testament and see how this concept does apply to the church today. Uh, if we go to the book of Acts, this book is all about Jesus, the, the first disciples of Jesus spreading the good news of Jesus and this good news of what he's done and, and the establishment of the very first um, church, or the establishment of the church for the first time. So we see in Acts 9, uh, verse 31, it says, So the church throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, so we're not talking about just one local body, this is the church at large, had peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It increased in numbers. So why did the why did the church in Acts grow? It grew it grew not because of what they were doing or in their power. They were growing because God blessed it. So it's it's a reminder that we don't grow the church. God grows the church. It's His church. But notice what's said about this church that it lived in the fear of the Lord and was encouraged by the Holy Spirit. So this early church was known. Not at, if you look at the other the context of the story, this fear uh, was seen and and observed by everyone, not just those within the church, those outside of the church also kind of saw what was going on and, and were afraid. So uh, and, and God blessed them and used them to lead more people into a relationship with God. And that's what it means when it says it increased in numbers. It meant more people were coming into a reconciled relationship with God. So the lesson, the lesson that we learned from the early church, bottom line, is that yes, we do still need to fear God, and we can still learn a lot about that concept of what that means through the Old Testament. Well, yeah, and, and we, I think we have to understand that the Bible has these themes and these concepts. We've been, we've been like trying to, to really kind of hammer this into our own lives as well as to, to make sure it, it permeates all of our teaching, that there are themes that start in the beginning of the Bible and continue to the end of the Bible that help us understand uh, about God and, and his nature and such. And, and we have to realize that the fear of the Lord is one of those things. It doesn't, it's not just an Old Testament thing. It's an Old Testament and the New Testament thing. It's something that started in the beginning and goes to the end. And so, so I want to kind of, uh, kind of pause there with the New Testament church, and then I want to kind of rewind a little bit and, and go back to um, a couple things that we've talked about in the past so we can see the big picture or the whole Bible perspective of the fear of the Lord. Um, you know, we've been studying how, um, how God's theme, God's mission, God's message is, is consistent. Um, and yeah, when we, we, kind of looked at it, we, we were taking a perspective from here to here, and now we're going to take it from here to here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. That's right. Yeah. Um, but these themes that we find, David, that are like from Genesis to Revelation, 
I, I think something we have to realize is they're they're designed to to teach us to point us to the mission and the character and the nature of Yahweh, um, as well as our response to that. But first and foremost, it's a book about God and and the the revelation of God and then how we relate, right? Um, mm-hmm. So last week when we were going through uh, the wisdom books, we we grabbed a hold of Proverbs one seven, and maybe David can paste that in for you. Proverbs one seven says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and fools despise wisdom and instruction. So, so going back to the wisdom literature, we read that fearing Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Um, and we know that the fear of Yahweh means to trust God and keep his commands, to love God above all else, to follow his leadership. Um, so let's go back to the very beginning of our Bibles and let's see how that plays in. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15. So I'll give you a second to tap there. Um, Genesis 2.15. In Genesis 2, we don't get the phrase, fear the Lord. Okay, so I'm just, I want to be clear on that. Uh, there, Because the fear of the Lord is a bigger concept than just those words. You can see the fear of the Lord through circumstances uh, as much as you can through the actual phrase. So here's Genesis 2.15, and it says, The Lord took the man and placed him in the Garden of Eden to work and watch over it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. So God created Adam, put him in the garden, and gave him stewardship over it. Then he gave that first commandment, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. So let me requote Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Why do you believe, and you can post in the comments here, why do you believe God did not want Adam to eat from that specific tree? God said, you can eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Why do you believe God did not want Adam to eat from that specific tree? Anybody want to chime in? I know you're all thinking, it's a trap. And we did, we did kind of ask this question last week as well, uh, or a very similar question. Um, is this the exact same question? Yes, we, say, we did ask this question last week, so you should have had plenty of time to think about it. <laughs> They're not going to answer, David, so I, I'll throw it out there. Oh, here we go, finally. Thanks, Jackie because he didn't want us working off our own knowledge. We should be following God's instruction. Absolutely. Bingo. Uh, yeah. Bingo. He was testing his obedience. Yeah, so here we have the, we have knowledge, we have obedience, we have following God's lead. Uh, are, are you catching a theme here? I mean, if we were just to sum it all up in one phrase that the Bible uses over and over again, it's because he wanted Adam and Eve to fear him. To, to, true, to fear him in the sense of trusting him and loving him and obeying him and following his lead and all those things that we just talked about. Um, so let's and see. listening, uh, the Shema, the, the hearing the commandment and obeying it, uh, paying attention to what God was saying to them. Yes. 
And fearing and trusting God is the true path to wisdom, to knowledge. Seeking it on our own um, is not true wisdom. And that was posted in the chat. That's very true as well. Um, you know, God, God wanted man to listen to him, to trust him, and to obey him. And the fear of the Lord involves all three. But let's just be real. We can listen to someone, but not care about their message, right? Um, we, we have a funny saying, you know, I bet I stop listening before you stop talking. Um, you know, we, we, we can listen to someone, but not really care about their message. We can trust somebody, but still not be willing to follow them. And we can obey somebody and do it begrudgingly and not with, uh, with a good heart. Um, but God wants us to listen to him, to trust what he says and be willing to obey, even if it doesn't make sense um, at that time, even if we're not satisfied with what he's asking. Um, that is the fear of the Lord. And I'm sure that's exactly what Abraham struggled with when he was taking Isaac up that mountain. Um, I, you know, it's like, I, I'm going to trust God, but I, I don't like what God is doing here. I'm sure that was going through his mind at that time. Um, yeah. And in that, in that Genesis passage there, that um, they end up, and it, actually in Genesis 3, um, verses 1 through 7, we won't read through it, but that's the temptation presented by the serpent to get Adam and Eve to disobey God, the, the actual temptation for them was for them to have their own knowledge, which was a positioning of themselves in God's place by taking it for themselves instead of actually receiving it from God. And, you know, fearing God, if they had actually done it, would have maintained true knowledge for them. Because um, uh, like, like it was posted, the trusting and obeying and loving God is the only way to obtain true knowledge. It's the beginning and the culmination of it. Yeah. And, and I love, I love that when you read Proverbs 1, 7, you realize that this is, this is Solomon speaking uh, to a Jewish audience. And so when he starts out and says that, um, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, you have to think that their brains are flashing back to the Genesis narrative because you're talking about, the word beginning, and that's going to take you back to in the beginning, God, and you're going to be talking about knowledge, and it's going to take you back to the tree because garden imagery is is such an important part of the Jewish um, custom and the Jewish teaching. So when he says the beginning of uh, that, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. He's purposely taking us back to this Genesis narrative, and even though we don't have the phrase the fear of the Lord in this passage, the 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 concepts of the fear of the Lord are all present there. It, it's teaching that from the very beginning, what God has wanted is for us to, to fear him, to fear the consequences of doing something wrong, but also to love him enough to trust him and to obey him and to follow his leadership. And all of that's like wrapped up in that, that one statement of don't eat from this one tree and then the deception from the serpent. So, so we start in Genesis with this concept of the fear of the Lord, even though it's not mentioned. But that, that connection you're talking about, I like to call that a hyperlink because it's, it's like when you're reading a Wikipedia article and like every other word is linked to other articles that it's related to. Uh, it's just like that. When you're reading through scripture, um, there's hyperlinks all over the place, just in the, the way things are worded and phrased. It's meant to initially uh, immediately trigger in your mind connections to these, these other things. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, Going on, we started in Genesis. Let me let me take us to the end of the book now. Let's let's get to Revelation and let's see uh, what happens here. So, uh, Revelation's chapter nineteen. It's the chapter. Um, it's the chapter of songs of praise to God. 
it's just before uh, the Satan is permanently defeated and before the final judgment of God on mankind. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verses 5 through 8. And it says this, A voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all his servants, and the ones who fear him, both small and great. And then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because our Lord God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Those of us who fear the Lord, that is, those of us who have trusted, obeyed, and loved God, are, and, and accepted Christ is a part of that, uh, are the bride of Christ. And someday we'll stand in his presence and declare his greatness. And this chapter is a chapter of celebration. And the people who fear God are told to praise God. Now, at first look, without the greater context established, that doesn't seem to make sense. You don't celebrate and praise someone who you think will harm you or who you're afraid of, right? I mean, this is not what you do. If we go back to the fear concept of only fear, uh, we have to go back and, and to what we've learned about Abraham and Moses and fearing God and, and, and that being trusting and obeying and loving and following. And then thinking of the immediate context of Revelation where it's talking about the marriage to the lamb, the fact that Christ has bought us and loved us enough to redeem us to himself. And he's clothed us um, in fine linen and, and made us pure because of his sacrifice. And so we fear him, but we, it's not a, a being terrified of being zapped into the greasy spot in the pavement. If we mess up, um, it's, it's a fear of, uh, with that reverence and that awe and that trust and that obey. And yes, we should be concerned if we, if we disobey because we deserve to be punished, but it's all of that kind of wrapped up together. And so we start out in Genesis with this as a theme and we end up in Revelation with it actually stating that the ones that fear him are going to be the ones that will be praising him uh, in the end. And I just think it's a really, really cool uh, concept to try to wrap your head around it. And as you study God's word, it's important to keep this bigger picture view of the fear of Yahweh in mind. It's healthy. Uh, it's helpful to continue to explore the depths of it. But it's not a simple one sentence concept. It's, it's an all of life. 24-7 kind of concept that that will continue to unfold in our hearts and minds as we seek to understand and live in it. I mean, I, I can't say that I comprehend all of it. So when David and I was like, well, we're going to talk about the fear of the Lord. It's like, well, how? How do you even start this conversation? And how do you, you can't present everything that there is to know about um, the fear of God in, in one message because it's really like something you can that learn. say that a lot. What's that? <laughs> I feel like we say that a lot about every topic that we tackle. <laughs> We're talking about God. I mean, how do you how do you do that, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. Yep. But it's true. Yeah, it's just this multi-layered onion that you just keep peeling and peeling and peeling, and you might go to bed one night thinking you've really gotten somewhere, and wake up the next day and think, uh, I still don't really fully comprehend this. <laughs> but that's okay. Yeah. So. So as we wrap up our time thinking about the, the fear of the Lord, I think we need to get really practical with it because we can talk about the Old Testament and, oh, yeah, Abraham did this and Moses did this and David did this and Joshua did that. And, you know, the Proverbs say this and that's all really cool. And the Old and the New Testament church did this. And someday in Revelation, the saints will do this and Adam and Eve did that. But, but what about you and me? 
I mean, really, let's let's just ask where where are we in this concept of fearing the Lord? What does it look like to fear God on a daily basis? Um, and and maybe I'll just throw that out there. Um, you know, what does it look like to fear God? Just like Abraham, you know, uh, you'll be tested to see if you have faith in God. Just like the Israelites, you'll be tested to see if you'll follow God completely. Remember, I told you we'd come back to that. If Abraham and the Israelites were tested, then we as the children of God will also be tested to see if we truly fear God and are willing to love him and obey him and follow him no matter what. And I'll be honest with you, we're not going to be perfect at it. And we're not. We're not going to bat a thousand when it comes to fearing God and, and, and trusting him and obeying him and, and following him. Um, but with God's help and the Holy Spirit in us, we'll learn more and more each day what it means to fear him uh, on that daily basis, to, to fear him in every circumstance of life. Um, but I think the other question we have to ask is what keeps us from fearing God? And so let's open that up to the chat. Now, now that we've kind of defined what it means to fear God, what keeps us from fearing God, from trusting him and following his lead and obeying him and, and all those types of things? What do you think are some of the things? Not, not I mean, I, if you post there, I'm not going to assume that, you know, that's the one that you struggle with. So what you saw, hypothetically speaking, what are some things that keep other people from fearing God, right? What are the things that you've seen, everyone else, not yourself? Yeah. Getting too comfortable. Pride. Yeah. And as you're thinking through that, as a side note, uh, you brought up Old Testament examples of people being tested. But again, that's not just an Old Testament principle. Jesus was tested. Uh, the, the disciples were tested and the, the church was tested as well. So. Pride was, was definitely, yeah, trusting in yourself, selfishness, <laughs> love of control. Yeah, pride was definitely, definitely at the top of our list, just thinking that we know better than God, thinking that we're smarter than God. That's, yeah, exactly like Mike said in the chat. It's what, the, what Adam and Eve were tempted with in the garden, and we definitely deal with that same core temptation of pride, um, and it comes out in all kinds of different ways. I think sometimes fear of others, nobody pointed that out yet, I think sometimes fear of others keeps us from truly fearing God and others. We're more concerned about respecting others than respecting God or are more concerned about obeying others than obeying God um, or what other people think of us or how they're going to react to the way that we live for God. But I think sometimes fear of others um, becomes like we, they end up becoming our idol. Uh, they end up becoming the thing that we live for instead of God. I think that can be a real one for Social us. affirmation, that's um, definitely a, a real idol. Influence from our culture, yeah, and that, that plays into that same idea. Yeah, I think, I think lack of love for God. And this one's tough because 
I mean, if we're honest about love relationships, there are times where we feel more loving than others and where we feel more loved than others. And so um, if there are seasons where we're struggling with our love for God, it doesn't mean we don't love him at all. Uh, so I want to be, you know, very, very real about that. But, but sometimes I think um, we follow God or we obey God more out of that fear of like the traffic cop, you know, I, I obey the speed laws. Uh, because I don't want to get a ticket. And so we kind of have that, I obey God's commands because I don't want to get punished perspective. Um, and I'm not, I'm not um, obeying God and trusting God out of a love relationship. There's a, a big difference there, I think, in how um, we perceive that relationship. And so I think sometimes um, we just lack a, an honest love for God. We're willing to trust him and follow his lead no matter what, and just uh, to make sure we're doing what makes him smile. So I think that can be one of the things too. Wanting to impose our own sense of justice, uh, like is posted in the chat here, we see life isn't fair, and we want want life to be fair the way we we want it to be fair, and because it's not, then God isn't fair, and so our perceived injustice in life prohibits our respect for Him. Um, I think another thing that can can be a barrier is just doubt um whether it's doubting that god is even really out there or that he cares or that he is who he says he is which is you know the all-powerful god of the universe who is perfect and just and holy and deserving of our fear so it's kind of that doubt um that can lead to things like saying well he must not be a, a fair god because of my own perceived notions of what that should look like or how I want him to reveal himself to me. Um, so I think that those play hand in hand, doubting him and kind of imposing our uh, sense of who he should be or how he should do things. And in reality, he's very, he's so far uh, above us that we, we have no right to do that. Yeah, I want to go, kind of spin off of something we talked about with the wisdom literature last week. We mentioned that the book of Proverbs is like that do's and don'ts book. You know, if you do this, then this happens. And if you do this, this happens. You don't live a life of the fear of God so that you get something back. True fear of God isn't like, well, if I live this way, then God will give this to me or God will do this for me. That's not, that's, that's manipulation. That's really not relationship. And so I just want to point that out that that's something that, that Proverbs, the, the author of Proverbs, that as we started with, um, you know, Solomon with so many of those can lead people to believe that that's part, it's like a cause and effect. If I fear God, then he will do these things for me. Um, and we, that's not what all of the wisdom literature teaches. Um, fearing God is about relationship with God as, as, as well as obedience to God, but it's obedience out of relationship. Um, and, and you live in the fear of God when out of love, you choose to trust that his ways are best and that his words are true and that he can be trusted with our lives. Um, and, and so I guess the question is, um, there's probably, well, I should say this, there's probably areas in, in each of our lives where we trust God well, where we follow his lead well, and where we fear God. And there's probably areas in our lives where maybe um, we're not as good at trusting, that we're not as good as follow, at following God's lead, where we want to be in control or where we um, are afraid to, to follow where he wants to take us. And so uh, I would encourage you as you wrestle with this concept of the fear of the Lord to ask yourself, what areas do I struggle 
fearing God? In what places in my life is it harder for me to trust God? And during times like this, where we're in uh, such uncertainty, um, you know, maybe for some of you, it's about, uh, you know, the future. You, you like to have everything ordered and you like to know if A, B, C, D, E are going to happen. And right now there's, there's A and we don't even know what's after that. Like we don't, there's no order to, to life. It's like, we'll see what happens tomorrow. And so maybe you're struggling trusting God in your future. Maybe it's your finances or your health or your relationships or your job or, you know, whatever that is. Um, then this is an area where we need to then stop and say, okay, God, I, I need to learn to fear you. I need to make sure that I'm not making that thing greater than you are, um, that I'm not trying to take knowledge into my own hands, but I'm trusting your knowledge. And I'm not trying to take leadership into my own hands, but I'm trusting your leadership. Um, and that goes back to that greatest commandment, that back to the, the Shema. Um, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Um, and that's really what the fear of the Lord, I think, boils down to is the living out of that commandment in every aspect of our lives. Um, any any thoughts on that, David? I think you covered it pretty well. That's a kind of a cop-out answer, but I'll take it. So. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, what we wanted to leave you with today. Um, and, and it's our prayer that you'll experience the love of the Father and the forgiveness that comes through the Son and the encouragement of the Holy Spirit in your life as you learn to, to fear him and to trust him, but not to fear him just the, for the punishment perspective, but fear him um, in a sense of, of reverence and awe and trust and leadership, his leadership and obedience and all those things that you guys brought up in the chat, but also that we see um, modeled throughout the lives of these great uh, people of faith from the scriptures. Um, and as we're commanded to in the book of Proverbs, because as we were reminded in Ecclesiastes, the chief end of man is to fear God, um, to, to live for him, because we were created uh, in the image of God, to reflect God to the world around us. And we do that as, as we fear him. So why don't we uh, close in prayer, and then we'll take uh, questions that people might have, um, and uh, we'll uh, give you a chance to chat and catch up. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can trust you. Not only can we trust you, but you, from the very beginning, have designed it that you want us to trust you. And so we thank you for loving us enough to give us examples, to give us reminders, to give us your word, to teach us that you are someone that we can fear in a healthy way. Father, that you are a just God and you do have the right to punish us if we ignore you and if we disobey you but you're also a loving and merciful God and we can trust you and you show compassion to us as your children and you provided salvation through your son. And so we are so thankful for the ways that you prove over and over again, that you are trustworthy and you are worthy of our fear of our allegiance of our trust, of our hope. And so father, we put our future in your hands and I think of each each person that's joined in this morning and those that will be watching this online, Father, show each one of us the areas where we haven't been fearing you, where we've been trying to uh, take knowledge into our own hands and trust in our own wisdom and knowledge and teach us to trust you in those areas, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>